Well, welcome to the Someone to Tell It To podcast today. This podcast is a little unique uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first one is that I, Michael, am leading this podcast by myself. Unfortunately, earlier today, Tom texted me from home. It's still dark outside. Um, he has is very sick, and there was no possible way he could be here today. And we texted back and forth, and you know, and I asked him, "Well, what what should we do about this podcast?" And he just said, "Go ahead, you can handle it." And um, I appreciate that confidence he gave in me to do that. And I appreciate that we were able to do it and that our guest, uh, Colin Hunter, made it so easy. The other thing that's unique about this podcast is that we had just spoken with, with Colin four days ago because we were guests on his podcast. And he, uh, he just made it incredibly easy. So easy to talk with. He's got some great stories, some great questions. And it made it much more comfortable to be able to, to be able to lead this podcast today with someone whom I already know, and with whom I'm already very comfortable, simply because of the meeting that we had, the very first meeting we had, just uh, several days ago. So I'm glad you can be with me today, and with Colin, Colin, and with Tom, who's definitely here in spirit. And uh, we just hope he, Tom, will be feeling better and get back here very, very soon. So, um, wonderful. It was, I thought it was a wonderful conversation today. Our guest, Colin, um, just had so many important things to say. So what I'm going to do now is just introduce him. And then we hope that you will, uh, will enjoy the conversation that Colin and I had. The surest path to success is to fail. What if you could build a workplace culture that was less like a classroom and more like a playground, a place filled with opportunities to take risks and test boundaries with soft ground on which to fail, a place where you and your team are free to make mistakes and get things wrong, a place where it's okay to fail. These are the words of our guest today, Colin Hunter, a noted leadership coach, author, mentor, the CEO of Potential Squared, an organization that creates leaders' futures, the futures for generations that will be proud of them. And he's also the host of the Leadership Tales podcast. He wrote these words in his book, Be More Wrong, How Failure Makes You an Outstanding Leader. And in his book, Colin shows us why in this age of disruption, that it's never been more important to fail early, fail often, and fail forward. Through his Pi 2 Leadership Impact Model, Colin explains how to create systems and to build habits that will help us to lead with greater confidence, conviction, and connection. And he teaches us how to recognize different leadership styles and what transforms a good leader into an outstanding one. And I'd like to add that I think it's not only about leadership, but it, you know, in the workplace, but it's about leadership and connection in our lives too. This transcends, transcends professional and personal lives. And I think this is appropriate for every aspect of the lives that each of us live. 
Colin lives north of the greater London area in England, and he speaks with me from there today. We use Buzzsprout to create this podcast, and as a small nonprofit team, we really appreciate how easy they make it to get our guests' stories out into the world. With Buzzsprout, you get a beautiful podcast website, audio players to embed into other sites, detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and so much more. Use the link in the show notes to get a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid plan and to support our show. As the co-founders of Someone to Tell To, we often find ourselves traveling around between meetings and listening sessions, and we often don't really have time for the little things like grocery shopping. I'm sure many of you have had that experience when at the end of a long workday, you'd rather do anything else than shop for groceries. That's why we're happy to give our listeners the chance to get free delivery on your first Instacart order over $35. You'll get the products you love from your local stores in as fast as one hour. There's nothing quite like sitting down at the end of the day to be present for your family over a home-cooked meal, and takeout just doesn't feel the same. So if you find yourself needing groceries and considering getting takeout instead, get hand-selected products delivered straight to your door. Get free shipping on orders over $35 by using the link in the show notes. So Colin, it's is such a joy to have you join us on the Someone to Tell a Two podcast today. Welcome. Michael, thank you. It's uh, it's a joy to be here. Having had our previous conversations, I'm so looking forward to this one. So it's great. Yeah. Yes. So, so am I. Now, I do need to explain, uh, Colin already knows this, but for our listeners, that it's just me, Michael, today for the first time ever since we've uh, been doing these podcasts. Tom is very sick uh, today. And he's not able to make it, but he urged me to continue with the podcast and to and to fly solo today. And I'm glad I can do that. And I'm also glad it's with Colin because the fact is, we uh, just a few days ago uh, were guests on Colin's podcast, and so we already know him. I've had a wonderful conversation with him. That ice has been broken, so it certainly makes it much easier to do this today by myself. And Collins, what, we, what we'd like to do today is uh, what I want to do today. I'm going to have to learn just to say I uh, <laughs> right now, which I'm not used to. For the first time is, in your, your wildest dreams to go I rather than way. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. So what, what we do like to do when, when we do interview guests and have a conversation is first just ask a question first or, or just make a statement to you and, and say, Colin, tell me about yourself, anything you'd like to share to, to introduce yourself to our guests. I, I, thank you, Michael. Um, I suppose the way I would introduce myself, and I think my mother would echo this, is I'm perfectly imperfect. So that's what I've specialized in. So I've had a, um, a career, a life of, of screw-ups and enjoyments, and therefore when I was up to the age of 30, I was uh, living a life which either was natural to me as a child and self-clearing mind and system and filled with friends through to the second part, twenties to thirties, living my life as, as almost what my parents wanted me to be and what the adults said I should be. 
And since 30, um, share with everybody that I had a breakdown when I was 30. Um, I've been on a journey to to discover what caused me to have that breakdown and and take some advice that a doctor gave me at the time, which is to live your life within your energy limits and to live your life in a way that is is purposeful, but uh, manages the the balance system as your mind and your body. And therefore, I've been on a journey to do that for leaders and leadership around the world since then. And that's my passion. That's what I love, experimentation, purposeful practice around leadership and how we can bring a different leadership to the world. That's what I'm about. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that's a powerful statement, a powerful story about your life. And um, always impressed with people who've encountered struggles and challenges and hardships throughout their lives, but have used those, those hardships and struggles to redeem them in, in one way or another and to do something that, that changes the world and that makes it better. One of the things that you have written about is uh, a hero's journey. And that's a, a, a fascinating phrase. And I'd like you to say more about that. What is a hero's journey and why does that, is that something that, that uh, means something to you? Yeah, the hero's journey is Campbell's work, looking back uh, a while ago. And I, and I picked up the concept. I'm a big fan of Lord of the Rings. I'm a big fan of Harry Potter. Being British, I'm always a fan of Harry Potter um, to come into there. Um, and I've always looked at the hero's journey in a way which is uh, it's about the underdog, the person who has to, to rise above a challenge um, and work against the odds, face good and evil, whatever that form is, whether it's in their mind and their, themselves or actually real good and evil. And uh, I'm actually on a podcast recording this afternoon with a gentleman called Chris Wilson, who at the age of 19 was imprisoned for taking another person's life and wrote um, a book called The Master Plan, which allowed him to, to work with the judge to release him. And he's been on about living that master plan in terms of how we treat uh, our men and women and inmates in, in prison in the US. And that's a classic hero's journey. He was he was surrounded by two people um, and in self-defense, but not he's never condoning it. He took somebody else's life. But he used that to to face good and evil, to face the good and evil in society uh, and to give it back. So that's that's what he's done. And for me, that's exactly it. It's we go face good and evil, we we fail. Um, and I'm a big believer that if it's a hero's journey, it's a the quest is a challenge. It's a stretch that we're we're working against, and therefore we are going to stretch ourselves. And by the very nature of it, we're going to fail. So therefore, we learn, we grow, we have a guide. Uh, you know, in the the story of Lord of the Rings, Gandalf is there, uh, Dumbledore is there for Harry Potter, and we have a guide who guides the hero of the story uh, through that. And they, they learn and grow, but when they return to the village, they are never the same person. And in a lot of ways, in my traveling wanderlust, my desire to grow a business, and also my breakdown, um, I wanted to come back to the village, but never be the same. I wanted to to grow and learn how to, to, to grow myself. And therefore, I've been on a, a series of hero's journeys, Michael, over the time um, to work it. So the hero's journey is, is, is about a quest. It's about gathering people around you. Uh, to face that quest um, and it is about the the in your mindset it's about knowing you're going to fail and you're going to have 
uh, adverse uh, circumstances that you're going to have to tackle and how you do that and how you innovate and how you work around those to achieve success. Thank you. You uh, raised a number of things there that I, that I want to talk about and, and ask you about. You, you used the word guide or guides you know, whom you've had throughout your journey. Can, can you dis, would you describe some of the people who have been guides for you, some of those who have influenced you, encouraged you, inspired you, given you courage, helped to give you courage uh, to face the challenges and to rise above them? So, you know, if you could give some examples uh, yeah. about, about those people. Well, you're recording where um, near a place I used to live in when uh, I was in Hershey in 1972, Hershey, Pennsylvania. My father was a cross at the medical center there, but my grandfather, his father, had been a professor of theology. And one of his students, Randy Taylor, uh, was the gentleman who brought the uh, Presbyterian Church of the North and the South together. But he was also one of the people of pivotal in uh, civil rights um, and organized, helped organize Martin Luther King's march to Washington. And he was a big influence in my life because when I was 21, I went across and, and lived with him, despite meeting Martin Luther King's parents when I was down in Atlanta at the age of seven, which I was too young to appreciate. Um, I then went back and I lived with him and his, uh, and his family. And it was probably one of the most transformational relationships I ever had because he had this beautiful way of inviting in his biggest critics and inviting in the people who challenged him on his thinking into his house. And he would, if you can imagine Montreat, North Carolina, sat in a rocking chair with a pipe in his, his mouth, just chatting to the most diverse people with the most diverse points of view. Um, and he was a role model for me in terms of breaking our own echo chamber, uh, in terms of listening to the different voices. And he had a real skill to be able to make people feel welcomed, to be heard, to be understood, even if he disagreed with their views. He had that uh, amazing way of doing that. So when I'm in my darkest moments with a difficulty with listening to somebody else's points of view uh, or opinions, then I almost imagine myself with a pipe in my mouth because his nickname for his grandchildren was Pipe. Yep. So imagine Pipe sitting, rocking on that, that uh, Montreat porch and listening in a way that is truly, um, and, it, and there's a quote from uh, Jimi Hendrix, which says, knowledge speaks, wisdom listens. Uh, and Randy epitomized that he listened. He listened truly deeply. Um, and everybody came out of his company, including me as a 21-year-old at that point, uh, and felt truly appreciated and listened to. So he is one uh, in there. And I think my modern-day version of that is there's a gentleman called John Alexander, who wrote a book called Citizens. I think we talked about it the other day, but he's, he is on a, a journey to, to break us out of the story of the consumer story that we have in our lives. And, and if we think about COVID and the, the amount of community that happened when people were under this, you know, the toughest of circumstances and the principles behind Citizens is how do we, we get the right to vote, but what else do we do above and beyond voting? to change society. So those are two principles. You see a common theme in there about the influences and the guides in my life. And one is more of a mental one in John, but the other one was a, an emotional and mental and physical guide for me when I was younger at the age of 21 in Randy. Yeah. It's beautiful. Absolutely. You, you raise a number of points and uh, we could just 
spend this whole time talking about what you just said and the the things that are involved there and the, the characteristics and and the inspirations. Um, you know, one thing you, you you said was about learning to seeing the example, hearing the example, witnessing the example of uh, listening to people. And since we're a listening organization, that's that's really important to us. Listening to people who who are different from us, who may have different opinions, different actions, different just views of life. How how do you how do you do that? Uh, when when you encounter someone with whom you disagree, and there is some maybe sometimes some real in in a v- ways that that um, that really uh, challenge your values, how do you react to that? And what have you learned to do or to think or to or how to be in situations like that? It's a great question because it's it's the one of the things I always struggle with is people say, here's the five things to do to be a good listener. And, you know, I think part of it is is a troll um, in terms of saying, so are those are the five things that would be useful to me. But I go back to a, gen- a gentleman called Jamie Smart. And he talked, his book is called Clarity. And he talked about, you know, that the fact is that a lot of what we feel are just our thoughts in the moment. So I'll repeat that again. What we feel is our thoughts in the moment. So what we're projecting in our thoughts come across in our feelings in the moment. And he he talked about this analogy that when we are children, we have a self-clearing mind. We can be laughing with our best friend and then suddenly arguing with our best friend. We can be happy and sad. And, and it's almost, you know, that screaming onset child, the next moment is suddenly tucking into ice cream and and it's almost like nothing's happened. And as parents were sitting there going, so how did that happen? You know, so it's that what went on, but they have a self-correcting, self-clearing mind. And as we grow older, um, his analogy was when a child, we're like the Colorado River cutting through the canyon, cutting into stone, fresh, sharp, powerful. As we grow older, we freeze our, our thinking and our minds and therefore, by the time we get to the grand old age of 57, in theory, our, our mind is frozen. And there's just this trickle of thought that's powerful. Now, he can't actually remember saying that when he taught me it. Um, but, you know, when I was on it, he came on my podcast. But it was so powerful for me because I suddenly realized what I needed to do was spend my life almost unfreezing my thinking, clearing my thoughts. So, a couple of things I do is, is I have a disciplined regime each day, including meditation, um, to do that. Uh, and when I'm going before somebody to talk and I know that I'm going to have different points of view, I, I almost hold that principle in my mind about uh, four things in my meditation. One is is warmth. Yeah. So I feel warmth in my body. And this for some people, this might sound a bit, whoa, whoa, you know, what's he on about? But But for me, I hold warmth. The other thing that I hold when I'm meditating is light. So I see light. So we were talking about the weather and and rain and how it makes us, affects us. I have a daughter who loves rain. So she's changed my mindset on rain to be, I love rain now because she loves it. So that light and that's allowing things in. But the the two key things that are important are the last two, which is I I talk about self-love for myself, that I have value, I, I, I have opinions, I have feelings, and therefore... I should respect those and be me comfortable with those. But the final piece is compassion. 
And compassion and empathy starts with the ability to, to listen without judgment, without prejudice. And I have one little story that I, um, Jamie made me do was this exercise with my, my daughter when I came out of the, the, the session I'd had. And I had a three-day intensive. Um, and he said, why don't you just practice, Colin, just sitting and listening without judgment to your daughter? And it was fascinating. There was this moment where she was talking about something. And in the past, I would have just instinctively gone in and go, oh, we can sort that. We can fix it. And I just, I held the space and I said, so tell me more about what's going on there. And she carried on talking. But it was about 10 minutes later of me just being very comfortable. And Jamie, it's visual, but Jamie used to sit with his like this, his hands tucked together under his chin. He just used to sit. And I started doing that. I went into that position to listen. And the insight I got was that a lot of my daughter's behaviors were influenced by the stress that my wife and I were bringing to our lives. And therefore, she was acting to replicate or to almost placate a lot of the stress in life. I would have never got that from my solutionizing advice monster coming out as Michael Bungistania talks about. So, so for me, it's the self-clearing mind and system. And it's that moment of just being at peace with somebody while you listen, as you're doing very well with me today, as I, I ramble on inanely around my stories. Yeah. Well, first of all, you're not rambling. Um, <laughs> what you're saying, you are, you are expressing, you're expressing what's inside. You're expressing your heart and your spirit and, your mind. And I think that's, that's important. And that's exactly what we try to do every day with the people to whom we listen and um, the people we train to listen. Um, it's, it's fascinating how many times we are asked a, a similar question that I just asked you about how do you listen to someone with whom you disagree? And that is something that so many people have a problem with. So many people struggle with what to do when they hear things they don't like. And they also struggle, the other thing they struggle with, and they're related, is um, not with not fixing people, with not having a solution, an answer right away, with not interrupting and saying, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. Uh, but we, we know that doesn't help. That does not make it any better. In fact, it often will hurt a relationship when that happens. And um, so we, you are speaking the same language we speak all the time. So thank you for that. And especially your, you mentioned empathy, you mentioned compassion, you mentioned valuing yourselves and, and also valuing one another, how important that is. And, and those are constant mantras of ours as well, because we believe those are the keys to first listening well, but also to connecting with people and having better and more meaningful, stronger, deeper relationships with one another. So thank you for, thank you for articulating for our listeners and viewers the, the, the same messages that we try to do the same, you know, to say the same things as well. So we appreciate that very much. I was thinking about you the other day, actually, Michael, um, because I was reading a post on LinkedIn from uh, uh, an amazing coach, Karen, and and she posted about the fact that uh, as coaches and as listeners, we need to do our own, uh, our own work. You know, we need to eat our own dog food, drink our own champagne in a lot of ways. 
And she was putting into the context that we listen to a lot of things that either might be toxic for us in our minds that are difficult to, to hear or difficult to, to absorb or difficult to listen to, yeah, in, in the, the work that you do in the stories. And therefore, it is amazing how our, talking about a mind, our, our river gets frozen by a number of those things, either through reaction, which is a defense mechanism, or it gets tainted in terms of being able to, to clear the thinking that's that's overlaid on that. And and I loved her, um, her work. And she also then went on to talk about um, how, or well, one of her uh, friends who I know also said about, uh, what I love about you is you're weird. And she says, yeah, it takes one to know one. And it's that bit that we, we should celebrate our own weirdness. Yeah. And I think in a listening context, listening for that weirdness sometimes is the the key to curiosity and finding out the real truth behind people, because a lot of us hide our weirdness. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. We, we absolutely do. We've, um, we've been questioned sometimes because early on in, in, in some of the Teletoo's existence, we had written a blog about shame and basically said that shame does not change, does not help matters. Shaming one another does not help people to change. In fact, what we do is hide it. You know, we hide the things that we are ashamed of or the things that people say we should be ashamed of. Um, and, you know, we, they just go underground and we just don't acknowledge it. We, we don't let some people see it, and it, which actually puts up barriers, distance between us, you know, between people. And um, so I appreciate you, you just you saying that because um, th that is so important that we do need to embrace our weirdness, whatever that means. What, what, can you describe that? What, what, the, what does that mean for you? What is your, what would you say is your weirdness? My, well, my weirdness. You? Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating because I have many weird things about me, but one of my weird things is, is I love to experiment. So it's just, and I see it as a weirdness because for those listening, I, I tape my mouth when I go to sleep. Now for those thinking that this is something very strange, this is, this is about experimentation on the quality of sleep. And since I heard somebody talk about a podcast and saying, if you tape your mouth, it encourages nose breathing so that it improves your sleep, then I start to go, okay, uh, I'm going to experiment with that. Now, my sleep last night, nine hours of perfect sleep. For those who don't sleep, I apologize for, you know, um, uh, for saying this, but I had nine hours of the best sleep, most relaxed, and now I wake up fresh. I wake up, but that's, I do look weird with taped over my mouth when I go to sleep and, and, and thinking there. And then another habit that I've got, which is something called a neti pot, which for those who have ever visited Tibet, they use a neti pot to, to clean out the nose, um, linked, nose breathing, cleaning out the nose. And every morning I do that. So I think my daughters think I'm the weirdest father <laughs> that ever existed. <laughs> So my weirdness is experimentation, and, and I've done it since I was a kid, changing my, my room all the time, experimenting with my friends and groups of friends, bringing them together. So my weirdness is, is almost restlessly experimenting in my life, which some people go, so how do you have the energy? I said, well, I get my energy from experimentation. So, yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I don't think it's weird. Because I think what it, because if it works for you, then it's good. Um, what, whatever you need to do, if, if it works, it helps you to sleep well. It helps you, you know, 
feel better, to be more refreshed, more energetic. Um, those things are very important and to recognize and to be able to embrace when they actually enhance our lives. So grateful for you sharing that. Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. Wonders Found is an all-volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest Grateful of the podcast. You, you say that, um, you know, you like to experiment, which leads me to, to ask you questions about failure, because with experimentation, inevitably comes failure. There are things that we will try that will not work. There are things that we hope will work, but they don't. And we, and we may look at those as failures. And you've written that it's okay to fail. It's okay. In fact, it's good to fail. Say more about that. I'd like to have you, you know, share with people what you mean when you say that. So I always use a story that, uh, that I love. There's a TED talk by uh, Sir Ken Robinson, the late Sir Ken Robinson, who's just, who is a brilliant thinker, speaker, funny TED talk. He's just a natural comic. Um, and what he he was talking about was this story of um, in a classroom and a teacher was, went to the back of the classroom and there's a, a girl there who is drawing away. And the teacher said, so what are you drawing? And she said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, but nobody knows what God looks like. And the child turned around and said, well, give me a few minutes and they will. And it's that that concept in there that, you know, from an early age, we with our education system there's the perfect answer there's the perfect you know a score you're going to get in your exams whereas actually a lot of life is about uh, experimentation stretching having a go at something and learning and i i think back to my childhood and when i was um i was thinking about the playground playground sometimes was my happiest place where we, you'd have a go you'd experiment you'd try something whether it was in sports or uh, and you would more likely fail, but you didn't think, oh, oh, that's terrible. You thought, well, okay, so I've learned how not to do it. Let me have another go to it. Whereas our education and a lot of our parenting system is about, you know, pass or fail. Yeah. And so therefore failure is, is the bad thing. So I then think about what we're doing in organizations and think about the most successful people from Edison with a light bulb through to Monday organizations, they fail on a regular basis towards uh, a direction. Pixar is a classic example. You know, they, they, they talk about having an ugly product for the first draft of a movie, and then they iterate it up and they get the fiercest critics and they don't see it as failure. They see it as, you know, what's this going to look like in, in the future? And whether it's frozen um, as a movie, they started as something completely different. And then people, and go, I like this, I wish this, I wonder this, and they challenge it. And so therefore, if we are going to grow as an individual, as a society, we need to sail our ship out of the harbor. Yeah. And therefore, 
Uh, we want to be able to stretch ourselves with a degree of rest. So I'm not talking about failure all the time because that's tough mentally and physically. But it's about small experiments that we're going to fail in, that we're going to learn, that we're going to grow, and we're going to stretch ourselves. And then we grow. And that's, that's for me, the positive failure. A, a great guy called Ozan Varel, who wrote the book, Think Like a Rocket Scientist. And he is a rocket scientist. He's a great thinker. Um, and he says he didn't like the, the, the concept of fail fast, fail early, fail often. He liked the concept of learn fast. But it's the same principle in there as learn fast is you've got to stretch, you've got to grow. And therefore, there is going to be a degree of first time round might not work. Second time round might not work. But why not the hundredth and two hundredth time and suddenly you get something which is amazing rather than accepting mediocre average in what we want to do in our lives. And that's that's where I want to change the concept of failure in people's lives. Can you theorize, thank you, can, uh, can you theorize why we see failure as such a negative thing? I mean, I mean our ego. <laughs> I'm uh, geeking out and experimenting with the Stoics. If you've ever heard of a gentleman called Ryan Holiday, he writes, uh, uh, wrote a book called The Daily Stoic. And that's about Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and some of the, the great thinkers. Um, and when it comes back to this, this concept in here, it's, it's the, the concept of the ego. So the ego is the enemy is one of the principles of, of the Stoics. And Ryan Holiday's book, The Ego of the Enemy, I went, yes, this is it. Because if we think what you're trying to do, we think about what society is trying to do, then the concept of the individual is, is what John Alexander in his book, Citizens, would call the, the, the consumer story. We're driven down to say it's the individualistic, we buy more, we contribute to society. Whereas for me, there's this piece in here, which is how can I work with others um, to do that? And therefore, leaving our ego behind, therefore, we can start to go, if my ego isn't there or it's suppressed in some ways, it allows me to see failure as okay. I'm learning, I'm experimenting uh, in there and I'm learning. The way I described it is jazz. You know, jazz wouldn't exist unless there was failure because it's about riffing off and it's, you know, it's riffing off the music and, and going with the flow. And I'm a big jazz fan, but it's that piece about we've got to experiment and, and learn and fail, but our mind goes, Oh, that's a wrong note. Whereas the person who's comfortable with failure goes, Hmm, I found a way not to do that, but actually that <laughs> might work. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> You've also, you mentioned it just a little bit ago about you love the playground. And you've also written that it's on teams, you know, on teams that, that leaders, they can do a surface by kind of creating a playground for the team members to play on. What do you mean by that? And I think maybe you've already described that, but just want to say more about that, you know, using that term. And, and what that may, you know, to help people understand that more, even more. For me, it's, it's many different things, but we use actors uh, in our work. And if we think about how we struggle to have the difficult conversations or struggle to, to coach or listen or all of these things, we never give people a safe place with a soft landing place to have a go at things. Imagine if, we gave politicians the chance to have a go at finding a different way of having the conversation between polar divides. 
and we crafted that. And we use our actors to to be trained to be in a conversation with somebody, and when they get a a pinch, as we describe it, on them by a way that somebody uh, acts them or questions them or behaves in front of them, they give a proportionate ouch back. Yeah, so they get a reaction, and therefore we've created this playground with remote controls for the audience to explore many different ways of having conversations. So it, it almost becomes to the point where you might start with a scenario where you're trying to get somebody to, to be mentored uh, towards a, a better path for their career. You might have 30 different ways of doing that. But why wouldn't you explore with people, with the actors, how to do that? So I've got two two examples in there which uh, one is is a more serious one's a bit more fun but um the serious one is we were working with the plaza Athene in paris beautiful hotel uh, my colleague was working with them in terms of how they greet people in the corridor of the hotel now if it's ritz carlton it's ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen so therefore there's a style in there um, but what they had is a value which is family but not over familiar as a tension so they wanted to create that family experience for the, the people greeting people in the corridor, but they also wanted it not to be over familiar and, and knowing them too much. So all we did was we practiced with those people about how they might try different ways of greeting a Japanese guest to a British guest, to an Australian guest, to a, a challenging guest. So how often do leaders create a, that playground to allow people to have different ways of of experiencing conversations and working in there, and then it was it was fascinating for me. So I have a, a one of our actors, very good friend, and he is you've got to imagine he is a gay Jewish man, yeah, who on Sunday morning sings in a Baptist church in New York with a group of people. So he's out there singing in Baptist church. And when I was in New York, I was I go see him, and this time I went to see him and. Day before he texted me and he said, it's going to be very different tomorrow, Colin. I said, why? He said, because the pastor's down with COVID and I need to do the sermon. So here he was, a gay Jewish man, leading the pastor's sermon um, up at front of this church and this congregation. Did it brilliantly. But it was it was fascinating to me because one of the things he was talking about in the middle of his sermon was the use of role play, which he does for us. And he was talking about in the financial services context. And at the end of it, he was greeting people as they go out. And this lady walked up um, and said, thank you very much. I love the sermon. I'm fascinated by the role play because uh, I run a hedge fund company. And I, I think we could do with some training in the in the role play. And he was like, oh, that's very interesting. Well, I, I do it. But actually, my boss, who was obviously me, was standing across the way. You should go talk to him. Now, that's a, a happenstance that happened in there, but I'm starting to think, so what are the playgrounds I'm going to create for business development for our, it's given me a different way of looking at it. Not that I'm going to hang around churches and, and tout for business in there, but it's that piece about if we start to get people to explore and experience in different ways, it's amazing the pathways that they can lead to more work, to more happiness in our lives. And therefore there's a playground that it was caused by me saying on a Sunday morning, I'm going to go to a Baptist church and listen to my friends singing and giving the sermon. Yeah. Another beautiful story. Thank you. Um, there is a, um, there's an author who uh, we, we, and who 
said something, wrote something that we'd like to, that we like to quote from time to time, because it, it means a lot to, to, to Tom and to me. And the author was um, Howard Thurman. And he has written, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. When you mention the playground, that makes me think that's, you know, that's where kids traditionally come alive very often on a, on a playground. And, and we lose that sense of play as we grow older, as we maybe become more frozen, <laughs> more set, more closed in, in many, many ways. And how can we, I just want to you know, just explore this a little bit more, how can we come alive again and be more like children? In, in that sort of metaphorical sense, in that spirit, spiritual, spirited sense, where they are able to um, shake things off and able to keep on exploring and not, not give up. Um, things that, that, that just bring them life and joy and make them laugh. How do we, as adults, uh, the older we get, continue to or to, to, to strive for that, to have that in our lives? I think that the, for me, there's a, a piece that we talk about three C's in, in our communication and our conversations. We talk about confidence. So having confidence uh, as leaders, parents, um, to, to speak with weight and authority, to be confident in our message and confident in, in almost in mindset in terms of giving people the opportunity to, to enjoy, to fail, to, to laugh, to, and I think so often we see confidence as, as formality, uh, in there. So I think one thing is, is that I think the conviction in there is for me is about uh, having the value that everybody's individual. Everybody has a, a different story, a different background, something that will make, and we all have different days that different things tickle us. You know, you, I've had those moments where I just can't help laughing. I can see myself rolling around and everybody's like, that wasn't funny, dad, for example. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm thinking, no, that's hilarious. And it's, it's that ability to, to have a value to say it's okay for people to, to find humor even in the darkest moments, you know, to, to find humor. And I think that's, I think the conviction in there is to allow people to, to feel alive. Um, and I'm going to say the last bit and then I'm going to add something on. So the final bit is this connection piece, which a New Zealand friend gave me this beautiful thing. He says, the connection is the ability to dance with the music others bring. And for me, it's as a parent, a leader, it's about creating spaces for, my daughters, my team, and other people to to let go, to dance with their music, dance like nobody's watching, and then help them to learn how to, to develop that dance. And the analogy goes on and on uh, in here. I think the the key thing for me, though, on this, Michael, is um, a, again, a, a Casey Carter, a good friend, who wrote a book called Permission to Glow. And he says, for, for people to really come alive, they need to do four things. And he talks about um, permission to, to, to stop and reflect, permission to, to pause yeah, in your lives. And a lot of us don't give ourselves the permission to do that, maybe scared about thinking what they're, they're going to think. Then it's permission to feel the feels, which I love. So permission to, 
to feel whatever we're feeling, sadness, happiness. And again, you know, that moment of just humor or moment of pure sadness or that movie that just moves you and you just think, wow. But it's that permission to feel the feels you're going through. And then he talks about layering it up. So the next piece he says, but the, the real difficult bit is permission to glow in the dark. So a lot of us don't do our hard work around, you know, what is whatever our demons are in our head, what are our dark thoughts that we have? And and embracing those and embracing, for example, the Stoics talk about the fear of, of death. And it might sound very severe, but it's that piece that if we can release the fear of death and we live our lives as if it's today and we're we're loving it. So that dot and then it says, then you get the permission to glow in the light. So for me, a lot of us are afraid to come alive. We're afraid to look foolish. Um, and therefore, I love some of my colleagues who are teaching improv and, and acting uh, classes because a lot of that is about permission to just scream and shout and have a go at something. Um, so I, I do think there's something about the playgrounds or the spaces we create, but I think there's also something about the work that you do and your people do about giving people a chance to to go through the emotions and to do their their hard work that they need to do themselves. Yeah. Another beautiful statement. So thank you. I think that's a good place for us to close. Um, because you are you um you have given me and I certainly hope uh those who are going to be listening and watching a lot to consider and a lot to think about. Um, you know, about the way we live, about the way we react, about the way we connect uh, with one another and ourselves. And that permission to glow, uh, to, to have safety, uh, to, you know, to live with empathy, compassion, value. All of those things that you've talked about are exactly our values. The, the values that Tom and I share and the values upon which we've built someone to tell it to. So thank you for reinforcing that. Thank you for making it richer as, you know, by telling your stories and your examples, your, your experiences. Appreciate that so very much. So Colin Hunter, thank you for being uh, with me today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And um, it's just really good to see you again, to connect with you. And um, so glad that you were able to take the time uh, to share in this conversation and appreciate it more than I can say. What a joy it was to talk with Colin. What a joy it was to hear him say words like empathy, compassion, value, um, safety, uh, connection that we talk about in someone to tell it to all the time. It was very obvious to, to me, and I know it was to Tom when we talked with him a few days ago, how much of a connection that we had with him, how many of his values were so very much the same as ours. And whenever we find people with whom we can just have an instantaneous connection and have conversations that are easy and comfortable, and at the, but yeah, and yet at the same time that challenge us to be to be better people, to be more thoughtful and considerate, to, to challenge us to learn and to grow. That's what we love. And um, I felt that this conversation today um, included all of that. And I hope that you did too. 
I just want to thank you for joining us today. I want to thank you for supporting and listening, you know, you know, throughout to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. And if you, if you want these podcasts to continue and to grow and to find more great guests like Colin, we hope that you'll consider supporting us. You can go to Someone to Tell It To's website and click on donate and you can donate money to, to support our efforts and our mission. You can go to patreon.com and you can directly support the podcast by, by donating there. And we appreciate and value everyone who does that because we hope that through these conversations, we are helping the world to listen. We are helping people to be better in all aspects of their lives and to create connections and meaningful relationships that make this world just a, a much better and better place. So we thank you again until we listen again.